now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guests Sting. Can you smell what the WWE is cooking? <laughs> Have you never heard The Rock say that line? Uh, no, I haven't. Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? Oh. <laughs> I'll try that again then. Can you smell what the WWE is cooking? The wrestling giant is getting big into podcasting. Our knowledge of this is nil. So we're turning to the post-wrestling podcast and co-host John Pollock and Wei Ting for insight into the media giant's next big thing. Plus, why Alan will be responsible for saving us all if the plane goes down en route to CES 2020. And I am ready to do it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Okay, dude, are you ready for this? I'm, I am. Go. I, I, I have finally found a reason to get you over to the house. Really? Why? Yeah. Why? Well, it was my birthday this past Yeah. Oh, yes. By the way, happy birthday. Happy, uh, what is it, 48? Uh, th- thank you for that. Yes. Hey, get used to it. It's, it's uh, better than the alternative. Hey, I spent my entire 47th year thinking I was already 48. <laughs> I long ago hit that age where I forget how old I yeah, am. I know, me too. Of course, until I look in the mirror and I see the gray growing on the side. Yeah, you're, you're going gray and I'm not. Why is that? I have no idea what that says. You're in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll business, and you look exactly like you did 25 years ago. I don't understand it, but anyway, continue. Wifey. Oh, by the way, we uh, we long ago learned I can't call her wifey anymore. Right, but we can do it here. She got me for my birthday a gift that couldn't be more sexually suggestive, (laughs) but is completely not. Okay. She got me a Thrustmaster. It's a Thrustmaster T300 RS GT Edition Force Feedback Virtual Reality Racing Simulator Wheel. Oh. (laughs) Oh, Okay. And you being a big car guy, I I thought thought you're going to absolutely love this experience. You bet I'm going to. You've got a driving game? I, it's it's not a game. No, it's no, a simulation. Okay, a simulation. Have you got a simulation? I do. It's called Project Cars 2. There's a whole bunch of different ones, um, but this one's Project Cars 2, and it recognizes you've plugged in a force feedback steering wheel. So, for example, when, when you, the car starts to slide into the... What do you call them? The I See, this is the thing. I don't even know anything. When you start to drift past the apex on an understeer, yes. And you've got the the white and red, the rumble strips around the chicanes and all that. Right, right, right. You feel the wheels banging against it as you come around that corner. Mm -hmm. The the steering wheel fights you as you make that turn. Uh, the, The pedals have a realistic sensation to them as well. Okay, you okay? You got me. You got me. I'm coming over. But the irony of ironies is, I don't even know how to drive stick. No. Okay, wait, does it have a, is, is it a manual? 
It first of all, the the box that I got yeah. is one of two boxes. I didn't get the second box, which is the shifter, but the steering wheel has sequential shifters on it, like a like a a full end Formula One racing car would. Are we are we talking about paddles? Paddles on the side, yeah. Yeah, you so want have, listen. You want paddles. Paddles are the are the way of the future. Well, they may be the way of the future, but the beauty of this virtual reality simulation software is that it also simulates the past. So you can drive the same car that killed James Dean along the same route. Oh, so you can drive a Porsche 365 somewhere in the mm-hmm. California desert and lose your head. I took a drive in, uh, I don't even know what kind of car it was. Porsche 365. Top-down type of thing, yep. driving along the California highway at dusk. And as I come around one bend, I'm blinded by the sunset and its orange glows. And it was absolutely gorgeous. I'm like, I have to learn how to drive. Oh, yeah. And there's, of course, you know, there's a difference between driving and driving for racing. Right. So do you have, as part of your simulator, uh, some track layouts? It has hundreds of tracks. Do you, can you think of any in your, in your mind right now? I actually got my little girl, uh, my 13-year-old, behind the wheel last night. Uh, and uh, we, we called it the Ricky Bobby moment because we had her at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And she was having a blast. And so was I. And so when you're, when you're doing that oval routine, I thought, okay, I need to get into something else. So I started getting into one of those street-type racing ones and, and the Formula One-type stuff where there's a lot of chicanes and a lot of turns. And yeah. I was just wiping out left, right, and center. I was oh, those are hard. The, the those vehicle. are really hard. So I figure I need to, first of all, learn how to effectively shift with the clutch pedal and all that kind of stuff and figure out how to make left turns. And once I figure out the Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights kind of scene, then maybe I can get a little more advanced. I am taking this so seriously. This is like driving lessons for me. It's it's close. I mean, I've done many, many track days. Uh, I know exactly the challenges that you're you're facing. Uh, this is a good start, and maybe one day we'll get you out to a Mossport or someplace. Exactly. So this has gotten me interested in the whole idea of motorsports in the first place, and so I've been spending a lot of time on YouTube watching other people who do this and figuring out how they're doing it, and this sort of ties back into esports generally and how people talk about how, how could you watch somebody play a video game? Well, it's not about the game as much as it's about the personalities who are doing this live streaming themselves. One guy that I particularly love, his name is Jimmy Broadbent. He's mid-30s, he's based out of Britain, and he sounds exactly like every motorsport announcer. But the difference between a motorsport announcer and this guy is he is color commentating while he's driving. Oh, okay. He's got that Jackie Stewart kind of feel about him, and it sucks you right into it because he he mixes it up between uh, advice on how he's actually handling the vehicle and giving you history lessons about the vehicle and actually just having a really good time driving. So here we are then, rolling start at Daytona in my Jaguar XJR9 in the Castrol livery. This thing won back in 1990. Let's try and do it again. There is the green light and away we go then for 20 minutes here at Daytona. Very clumsy. 
Aussie stars always in enduro racing. You're trying to find the mix between, wow, I was going to say trying to find the mix between being aggressive and trying to preserve yourself. But that guy had no self-preservation in mind whatsoever. Through the S for the first time, everyone's very clumsy through here. Slow car on the right. Now coming down to the horseshoe, down to second gear, of course, using full heel and toe. Check the mirrors on the right. And grab a quick peek to the right as well. Make sure no one's there. And now on power, up into third gear. Coming up to the kink for the first time. It's going to be too wide on the way through. I'm going to back out of that. Well, go on the outside, doesn't they? Still fighting in front, side by side. Coming into the tight right hand. Always tighter than you think it is. I would imagine you have a hundred cars to choose from. Yeah, no joke. Hundreds of cars to choose from. There's probably about 40 different manufacturers. And then many of them have three or four models within that as well. And of course, because of the digital downloads that you can do with this as well, that recurring revenue model that comes with sucking more money out of people's pockets, is you can buy packs that add on additional races, add on additional courses that are historic, like, like Le Mans. I've got two Le Mans tracks. Mm. I've got one from the 1970s and the present day one. And so you can drive a car from the 70s if you want, or you can drive a present day one. You can, so a lot of these streamers are trying to beat the winning times of some of the most famous racers in history, and they're doing it. Okay. I would love. I would love. So I would you come like over to the house. I sit you down in my flight seat because I, I built this as a VR flight seat for for space simulators, but it perfectly fits as well for a racing simulator. All right. When I get back, uh, I want to I want to drive a Ford GT40. Yep. Uh, at Le Mans in before 1970. So yeah, okay. Your time is up. My time is now. now. Are you much of a wrestling fan? I used to be. I used to be a very big AWA fan. Out of Winnipeg, we used to watch the... Uh, Everything came out of Minneapolis, and we were pretty hardcore when it came to the AWA. Um, Baron Von Raschke was part of that, Pompero Furpo, and a few others. But then uh, then the WWEF and then the WWE came along. I was in and out from time to time. I don't know anything about this world at all. And so when our ace producer, Shane Alexander, said, you know, a podcast all about wrestling isn't new, but the WWE dropped back in August the news that they'd be getting into the podcast game themselves. And so it actually might be something that might garner a lot of attention. But... I don't know anything about this. You've been in and out of it. So we figured we need to get a couple of authority figures on this topic. People who actually know something about the game because I get a funny feeling it's a big deal that the WWE is finally getting involved in podcasting. Well, they do have their own TV channel. Right. right. And, um, you know, the, the WrestleMania things are absolutely huge. 
So, yeah. Well, I think it as well, it, it suggests that podcasting has become not only mainstream, but mainstream for a demographic that you generally might not associate with podcasting. Or maybe that's just my age 12 um, bigotry coming through, because all I saw was a bunch of kids trying to slam each other in the schoolyard. Yeah, no, but this is a big deal because... First of all, there's 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 a huge following, and secondly, well, the storylines. Uh, Bob Mould of the band uh, Husker Du used to be a storyline writer for the WWE. That's an amazing thought. You know, the, the, do you remember the point in your childhood when you realized that it wasn't all real? Yeah, I do, I do. And there was big debates in the. You know, this would be back in high school. There would be there would be big debates as to whether or not wrestling was real or fake. And there was always the two camps, right? John Pollock and Wei Ting are the experts on this topic as far as we're concerned. They've been running the post-wrestling podcast for the past two years. They join us now from their studio. Good to have you with us. It's great to be here. And professional wrestling is officially choreographed. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there, it, was there, is it still a thing with kids today? Like, and I don't mean kids as in like millennials, speaking as a Gen Xer, but children. Like, or have we all, right from day one, come to recognize that this is theater? I think with, the, with this current generation, especially of younger fans, it's very much the latter, that they understand what wrestling is, what it's not. And the WWE, which is head and shoulders, the industry leader, they don't shy away from that in right down to the name of World Wrestling Entertainment. And I think that that has been a big part of their ability to try and jump into a more accepted form of entertainment by just being out in the open with what they are, what they're not, and not trying to confuse the matter of legitimate sport. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say it's it's so much a concern at all, really, for, for the fan. You know, the fan, I think, embraces the fact that it's not real and that, you know, you can dive into elements of storytelling that are way more grandiose than what you might typically see in a, in a typical sport. What is it that the, the fan then is... Uh, latching onto if it's not the idea that this is actually happening what's what's the hook you know it's it's the same reason why you might want to you know watch game of thrones or you know couple that with i think elements of uh create athleticism uh and really just drama that's you know able to be told through live action fight scenes that basically take place uh at every event yeah, the, the onus is really on the storytelling. If you compare this to something like the UFC, you can pick any of their gigantic stars over the past number of years. Ronda Rousey would be a perfect example mm -hmm. that she was a big deal to the UFC. And can you imagine if the US UFC had the ability to send Ronda Rousey out and they could control if she would win or if she would lose? That's the advantage that professional wrestling can have when it does find its stars. It can protect them in that matter. And the audience is is there for the story, they're there for an athletic component, but I don't think as much tied up in the the legitimate versus uh, theater, which it presents itself as. When you guys do your podcast, what do you focus on? Which which leagues? We cover everything from WWE to uh, companies in Japan. There's a, a, a brand new startup now called All Elite Wrestling that is on TNT on Wednesday nights in the States and in Canada on TSN. So we're covering the gamut of whatever kind of professional wrestling is out there, and we kind of take it from a tact of like we, we look at the storytelling but a big focus is also on the business of professional wrestling which is an enormous one you have 
a, a company in the WWE that is uh, an enormous juggernaut, and you have to look no further than their recent television deals with, with Fox and the USA Network, that they are commanding enormous television rights fees. So uh, our audience is really keen to that, that kind of aspect of the industry as well. So it's kind of looking at the, the entire environment that the WWE is the leader in. Just the WWE itself is $800 million a year in revenue, am I right? Yeah, they, uh, they're going to have their most profitable year uh, this year and for the next five years with these television deals like that's really the game right now it's being able to create content and then get paid for that content and they're getting paid 205 million a year by fox they're getting paid approximately 265 million a year for their flagship program which is raw and that's just in the united states and it's also trying to get you know uh commensurate deals in international markets and trying to hit that figure of a billion dollars in revenue in a year that is something that's very attainable for them now okay well let's ask let's, let me ask about some of the smaller leagues because Unless you're really plugged into the whole business of, of professional wrestling, you don't realize that there are these smaller, more regional leagues. Uh, back in the day of the AWA, there used to be, uh, across the United States and Canada, there used to be eight or nine, maybe ten different leagues that eventually sort of, uh, I guess they merged and, and, and consolidated into what became the WWF. But now we have these, these, we also have these other leagues, like Billy Corgan, for example, of the Smashing Pumpkins uh, is is part owner of a league based out of Chicago. Who who follows the smaller leagues and how much money do they make? Well, I would say um, uh, certainly at this point, the WWE has had uh, enjoyed a, a great monopoly over the the, the mainstream wrestling industry. But um, beyond that, I think we're seeing the fan base grow more and more. Uh, you know. Um, niche and and wanting more alternatives to what the uh, the mainstream is presenting and you know um promotions such as billy corgan's nwa have really uh i mean really for the past several years have really generated great hardcore fan bases and um i would say more and more you're seeing a lot of the mainstream audience maybe get more into professional wrestling that's available via the internet via uh various uh, online streaming platforms um it's very much like music where people get sick of what's on the radio and they want to find out what locally might be playing or what you know is is cool amongst maybe the 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 uh, certain uh you know more more uh obscure taste uh you know shall we say uh when it comes okay, to that pro makes, wrestling that makes sense now the other question i have and this is also another business question is um my impression and straighten me out if i'm wrong my impression is that Professional wrestling leagues treat their wrestlers kind of like the NFL treats their players. In other words, they they use them up really quickly, and if they get hurt, well, too bad. Is, is that the case across the spectrum? It's it's certainly been something like in professional wrestling, there is no union, there is no players association. And that's why when we talk about these enormous television contracts, if you were to look at the NBA uh, getting a giant television deal or Major League Baseball, the players are going to share in that. That's not the case in the WWE. And looking specifically at the WWE, while we've seen already um, you know, some improvements to the offers that you're hearing out there for WWE talent, because now there is a viable competitor now in this all elite wrestling promotion that we mentioned, which is on, on TNT, that all of a sudden, Talent now is starting to see a lot more options, so they're able to command a bit more, and the hope is that there's going to be more full-time positions as professional wrestlers out there creating more jobs across the board. But in terms of, you know, just uh, 
basic protection for a lot of these these athletes. It's it's something that they they don't have a whole lot of bargaining power when the WWE is going to make uh, broad stroking changes to a, a drug testing policy, for instance, whether it's uh, media availability, just something as, as minimal as that. It's something where they have a lot of control over their talent and talent is always going to have that paranoia that if I say no to something or if I kind of step out of line, there are a litany of performers that would love to have my position. And that's something that companies can certainly thrive off of that that paranoia um, that exists in professional wrestling. And it does in a lot of industries. Well, yeah, like broadcast radio and television as well. You know, but I feel like we're in the upside down world here. Maybe this has to do with the fact that Alan is on the other side of the planet. He's the one talking about the business of wrestling. And here's me turning to the music side of the equation. You you mentioned Billy Corgan, for example, bringing back the NWA. And we know that even before the WWE was the WWE as WWF, we had Cyndi Lauper as, as a musician who got actively involved. And I didn't realize this until I looked it up on the Internet. So it must be true. The WWE even has its own record label. How crazy is this intersection of music and the sport? Well, it, you know, the, the parallels between between music and professional wrestling go go very deep. And for the World Wrestling Federation, you know, the, the big show that put them on the map in a national sense, it was piggybacking with MTV as it was emerging in the mid 80s. And you had this era called the, the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And it was having a WWF presence on MTV, which was a fledgling network. But you had these these really larger than life figures in the WWF figures that were able to build off of each other's audience. And the WWF's first major show was their first WrestleMania event. It happened in March of 1985. Cindy Lauper was a big part of that show. And it was this interesting marriage between the two that they were kind of both rising up and just trying to gain attention with a larger fan base. And that's always been a big edict of Vince McMahon is being able to not pigeonhole himself as a pro wrestling promoter. He's always wanted to be looked upon as an entertainment promoter. And you've seen him venture out, whether it be with uh, an ill-fated music label or launching the XFL, relaunching the XFL. And he has gone in all these different paths, but his core business has always been professional wrestling, but trying to put kind of his vision out there of kind of going against the stereotypes that are out there of professional wrestling that he's he's run from. Who was Cindy Lauper tied up with i can't remember lou ferrigno lou, lou albano albano yes but having said that you know alan uh, one of his uh, careers involves consulting with the nhl and providing that kind of musical soundtrack to a, a game um what's the musical soundtrack like in the wrestling world is it any different than hockey or are there similarities or is there a particular type of tone or maybe genre that is more prevalent in the wrestling world i would say um traditionally i, I would think maybe more of a rock uh, influence in a lot of entrance musics um billy maybe no, 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 no. Well, it depends on the uh, depends on the character, right? Depends, depends on the absolutely ah, on the character. Character, good point. You know, somebody like the Undertaker will certainly uh, come out with something different. Uh, actually, the Undertaker himself is a really interesting case because he would typically, when he debuted, came out to this uh, funeral parlor theme, um, very kind of like you know church like with a bunch of organs. Then he had a character change where he became the American badass, and he actually came out to the song with the same name by Kid Rock. 
Uh, and then you even had the Limp Biscuit phase in some some parts, but it totally depends on the character right now. I think we see a lot of uh, wrestlers come out to hip hop themes, a lot of trap themes uh, in NXT. So it, it definitely does depend on, on who the character is. I do remember going back to the CDs and the record label, I do remember that there were not only uh, compilations of, I guess, wrestling friendly artists, but also the artists themselves would record songs. Who, who are some of the biggest... Uh, who are some of the biggest recording artists who just happen to be wrestlers? <laughs> I mean, there, there's there's a number that have like delved into it. I mean, one of the most popular would be Jimmy Hart, who became a famous manager as the mouth of the South, first in uh, out of Memphis and then going to the World Wrestling Federation. He got his first big break as part of the Gentries. And you, you so, don't remember Sexy Boy? That was uh, that was uh, a big uh, contribution from Jimmy Hart. Uh, with, with sexy boy so i mean we we've seen you know a lot of parody records that have been out there whether it be rap albums i mean randy savage put out a rap album john cena has put out a rap album and it it's always trying to kind of delve into that genre of taking these wrestlers and you know to to varying levels of success i think would be a fair way to categorize some of the uh, musical outcomes that we've gotten from some of these pro wrestlers that have tried to moonlight as musicians Moving forward, what do we see in the world of wrestling? Are are any leagues on the ascendant? Could anybody possibly challenge Jim McMahon, or or, or is this uh, is it a WWE world and we just live in it? WWE is going to be the industry leader for the foreseeable future and probably throughout our lifetimes. It's just it's got such enormous market share that I mean it's it's been something that. When we go back to the late 90s, it was a really hot period for the industry because you had the World Wrestling Federation with their flagship show on Monday nights, and then you had uh, Ted Turner's flagship show on TNT, and you had this head-to-head -head battle, and it ended up creating a whole new generation of wrestling fans. And then WCW went out of business in 2001, and that was kind of the end of this competition for the most part at, at a high level. So earlier this year, this is when All Elite Wrestling has launched their Wednesday night program. And for the first time in 18 years, it's something that it's a real alternative. It's got significant financial backing behind it because this is a league that is run by the Khan family, Shahid and Tony Khan, who are owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So you have someone that can compete with Vince McMahon and the WWE on a financial level. They've got a tremendous television deal on TNT and it's really, it's, it's galvanized the wrestling audience to see maybe we can see an actual competitor here. Are they going to, you know, disrupt the WWE? Probably not, but can they make a very comfortable position as the number two promotion? That's very viable. Is, so, is there a farm, is there a farm system? So you start in one league and you go up and you, you know, achieve a certain amount of, notoriety and then move up to another league and so on and so on or is, is there competition for wrestlers or is um do the, do the leagues scout how does it work well i mean it's it's not all that different than a lot of musicians that you can probably find a local show in your city of just independent wrestling where it'll be performers in front of you know anywhere from 10 to 200 people and it's just you know independent leagues that Hopefully you can get a name for yourself. It's a lot easier now to go from that step to getting on the WWE's radar because if you have something that is really eye-catching that can get a, a following through YouTube and social media, you're going to get your name out there that much quicker. And with so many 
like national leagues now trying to formulate, there's a big demand for talent. So the WWE have, have kind of created their own uh, their own gym out of Orlando, Florida, where it's the WWE Performance Center, and they will sign talent and they will develop talent right from the ground floor on up. They also will go after experienced talent that is out on the independent market and bring them in and have created this funnel system where you can go from their performance center up until their developmental system and then right onto television. So they've kind of had to look into the future because this is a star making industry. It's always about creating stars and it's one where this is a very physical industry and it's not a guarantee that your stars will be there for forever you always have to be developing them and looking for your next generation that's going to fill your television time so then what does it say about podcasting specifically that the wwe is now adopting it and what do you guys want to see out of a wwe podcast specifically that translates well in the existing Pan media universe they've created. I think podcasting, and I guess we, we speak to this from experience, seems to be a medium that has really, you know, um, wrestling fans have, have immediately adopted. Uh, and it, it just proves to be a very effective form of communication to get news out there because wrestling very much is based on current events. There's always something going on at every single time. But, you know, even from a historical perspective, Conrad Thompson's podcast his they largely focus on events of the past using you know principal characters who are involved in those uh, legendary stories of wrestling's past and those have found great success communication is just simply um i think at the core of perhaps professional wrestling and you're talking about a medium and a sport that has generated a great deal of incredible storytellers on the microphone so um podcasting is great for that wwe entering into it i mean i think you know certainly they probably see a lot of the success people have outside of the WWE who have gone on to have, you know, lucrative podcasts on their own. I think also from themselves, it's a way to control the narrative. If let's say, for instance, you know, people out there are creating these, you know, historical catalogs of like their, their, their take on like historical events. Well, I mean, I can certainly see the WWE wanting to not only, you know, um, maybe get a bit of that attention, but to perhaps uh, control the message in a way that, that themselves. Their latest show is um, called After the Bell with Corey Graves. That's, I believe that's the first official WWE podcast that's been released. And the latest, um, uh, the latest episode featured Corey G Graves himself giving his own account of a pretty controversial event that took place over the past week with uh, several members of the roster being stuck on a plane in Saudi Arabia. And I would say rampant you know, speculation coming off of whatever that meant. So um, we heard Corey Graves' own account of, of the issues, and I would say they very much reflect what the company um, uh, themselves feel about it, and it could very well certainly be the truth. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm sure the WWE themselves are happy to have a voice in the conversation uh, rather than just, be, you know, it just being taken up by other people that, that might not be associated. Gentlemen, thank you so much for the education. Yeah. No problem. Thank you for the time. It's been fascinating. Uh, joining us from their studio post-wrestling, John Pollock and Wade Ting. Really good. Thank you. Guests of Geeks and Beats stay at the luxurious Trump Hotel in downtown Toronto. Because when you think class, you think Trump.
crunched the numbers last episode to tell you that we were 83% of the way to CES 2020 through our donations on GoFundMe, Patreon, and PayPal. So I went out and I bought the tickets for the airplanes, and I got the hotel rooms booked as well. Where are we staying? And now we're, we're staying at the Palms. Okay. Our uh, ace friend of the show, Victor Biggio, has yet to come through with his connection at the Palms. But I thought, you know what? We're going to be spending an awful lot of time in the hotel doing editing of all of the content that we came up with. We certainly don't want to be staying off the strip in some sort of dead hooker motel. Well, we're, we're kind of on the other side of the highway from the strip. Right? We're not on the strip. It's pretty damn close, all things considered. Yeah, all things considered. It's, it's away from the madness of the strip, yep. but uh, it is a walk to it. And it's a short Uber drive to anywhere we want to go. Well, the thing about Vegas is that nothing in Vegas is a short walk. You got to know that. No. We booked the tickets, and I thought, you know what? Alan's going to need a little extra leg room because he's at least seven, maybe eight feet tall. Uh, closer than, yeah. Well, compared to me, anyway. Anyone over five, seven yeah. is at least seven feet tall. If I don't have a premium seat, I'm, I'm going to be very cranky. You won't be cranky because I got you an exit row. You're just going to be responsible for saving us when the plane goes down. That's fine. I, I know how to uh, open the door and toss it far and in, initiate the uh, the slide. I'm good. Excellent. Okay. Um, so we spent the extra money to, to pre-select our seats, get the good seats as well. So now we're underwater by 400 bucks. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And that still doesn't take into account we have to eat and take Ubers. So we would very much appreciate your continued support on The Big Show to get us to CES 2020. I think what I'm going to do is set up a web page now on geeksandbeats.com with all the things we have yet to pay for and kind of like... Uh, for a wedding, you can register for a wedding. Maybe we'll do like a registry for the things that we still need for the show. And like maybe you could buy Alan a dinner. You could buy Sean a beer. You could buy Michael. What? This is starting to sound like one of those guys at the end of the Jarvis on-ramp with a Tim Hortons cup walking up and down the <laughs> the cars that are stopped at the light. Yeah, but you don't want me washing your windshield. No, I don't. Thank you, please. I, I gave you a couple of dates where you could see Diamond Dave play at his, what do they call that? His residency. His residency. Thank you, yes. Um, so, David Lee Roth, you got a Monday night or a Wednesday night option. Have you bought your ticket yet? Nope. Uh, I'll, listen, I'm so up to my ears and things here. Uh, when I get home, I'm, I'm home on Friday. You're up to your ears and enemas. Uh, I am. <laughs> Yes, I am. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.